Hello and welcome once again to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. In this episode, we are going to be talking about Cape Fear River winter stripers. We're going to be talking to Captain Jot Owens, charters out of the Wrightsville Beach area. And we're going to be covering such topics as the seasonal movement of fish in the Cape Fear River, where to locate them, what to look for, and then ultimately how to fish for them. I'm Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post. Fisherman's Post has been serving the North Carolina saltwater fishing community since 2003, bringing you such items as fishing reports, fishing information, fishing tournaments, fishing schools, and now in our latest and greatest chapter, the Fisherman's Post saltwater podcast series. And in this series, we reach out to our captain and guide friends from up and down the North Carolina coast and asked them to share with us their knowledge, their insight on how to catch more fish more often. And underneath that goal of more fish more often, what we're really trying to do is to get you and your family and your friends out on the water, spending more time together more often. I'm joined this week, just as I am every week, by Billy Thorpe of Thorpe Creative. And how you doing, Billy? I'm doing good, Gary. How you doing, man? I'm doing all right. I'm doing. Right. I'm doing good. I don't even know why I said all right. I'm doing great. I'm doing all right. I'm doing. I, you I'm know, glad you're doing all right. I don't know we're why good. I felt the need to sandbag. <laughs> I, I take that off the table. I'm doing good. Awesome, awesome, man. I'm doing good as well. It's been a good week, good, good time, and uh, excited to be on the show. Excited for our guests. So yeah, man, it's gonna be awesome. Yeah, we got a good guest tonight. I'm stoked. Well, I'm gonna remind people how to watch, how to listen, and then we'll get back to some fishing stuff. Please. All right, so here we go. We got a lineup, a new lineup of places to watch and listen. We got Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, and uh, most recently added to Amazon Music. Super excited about that. So people can watch or, or listen on those platforms uh, or anywhere else podcasts are available. And then also you can subscribe to our YouTube channel if you want to see our ugly mugs. If you're listening to our voice, well, maybe Gary's mug's not ugly, but I'm just going to go ahead and. Am I the looks? Own it. I thought you were the looks and I was the brain. I don't think so. Okay. Maybe in a different setting, but not this one. That's what my <laughs> wife tells me. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, man. It's good, dude. It's uh, Everything's well, and that's how you can watch and listen. And, and really, Marine Warehouse Center makes this all possible, man. They've just been amazing sponsors since early on. I don't even know what episode, like six or seven. Uh, so we got a quick word from them. We'll be right back. As you know, it's been a great year for boat sales. However, it's been really tough for customers to find boats in stock. We're the headquarters in Wilmington, North Carolina. For pair customs, sailfish, sea chaser, and Carolina skiff. Our manufacturers are telling us the high demand for boats is going to affect 2021 inventory as well. So if you're looking to get a boat in the spring, you need to come sign up with us now. You know, uh, <laughs> the holidays are around the corner. I'm and excited. Terrell, one of the owners of Marine Warehouse Center, has it, been still calling you every up day? and up his social game. <laughs> you know, I think he's kicked it into another level. He had me over the other day. We were drinking some Arnold Palmers. <laughs> Famous last words. And there's something about Arnold Palmers that just gets him in the mood to tell fish jokes. And he told me yet another fish joke. I'm excited. I love these fish jokes. You do, don't you? I'm a fan. I'm a big fan. I think you should write a kid's book. Terrell should write a kid's book. Yeah, Terrell. Not you. It's not my jokes. It's not yours. Let's go. What kind of music 
should you listen to while fishing? I don't know. Something catchy. <laughs> All right, that's good. That's a real good one. <laughs> Where's my sound effects at? No, no sound effects. Yeah, it doesn't Let's not cheapen the show with sound effects. <laughs> we are at a very high bar right now, and I'd hate for you to bring it down. <laughs> Any. Oh, man. Well, I'm going to bring it up with a fish photo. How about that? Please. Talking about fishing. Please. Let's get a good fish photo up here. Here we go. Here is Dustin Peterson right here in Wilmington, North Carolina. Caught this 21-inch redfish on a live mullet while fishing Pages Creek. Good-looking fish. Looks like he caught out of a canoe there. Good job. Yeah, I, I forget the backstory, but something about that dude has been trying to catch a redfish for a long time. Yeah, really? Yeah, and he was, like, <laughs> especially happy about that redfish. Yeah. Like, I wish well, I knew how long. I want to say, like, Seven years that guy's been trying to catch a redfish, but then it's probably seven days, and I just... He needs to book a guide. Come on. <laughs> I know, we'll Take right? care of that in about seven minutes. A phone call and a credit card number. Let's go. All right, Billy, I'm going to introduce our guest, but before I introduce our guest, I just need to remind you, you know, because, you know, I don't know how grounded you are right now. I need to remind you, at the end of the episode, Billy's best takeaway. Got it, man. I'm on it. All right, now, John is going to talk a lot. And he's going to talk borderline fast. And so you're going to really need to stay engaged. I'm going to be Or uh, else this episode is going to pass you by. It's fine. I'm going to rewatch it a couple times before. All right. Before you answer the question? <laughs> Potentially. All right. Jod Owens, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you in studio. And I'm talking again as a reminder to Jot Owens, who charters out of Wrightsville Beach. You're here to talk to us about Cape Fear River Winter Stripers. We've got a bunch of areas to cover. How are you doing tonight? Good, good, good. Weather's getting good. It is uh, getting good. Fishing's picking up. I, I can't complain. Right. I mean, I think we're all there. So listen, you know the deal. We went over this. I got two questions for you. First question, why should anyone listen to what you have to say about a Cape Fear River striper? I know how to catch them. <laughs> um, it's always a good question. <laughs> Um, I mean, I, I'm excited about these fish. I love to catch them. Um, it's, I look forward to, um, this every time, every, every winter. Um, we're real lucky here in Southeast North Carolina. We have seasons. Um, and it's for me as a guide kind of breaks up monotony of going from, um, speckled trout to, to winter stripers in Cape Fear River. Uh, and when that's over with moving on to, to whatever was biting in the spring. And, um, so I, I get excited about the change of seasons and, uh, they, they're just a, they're a total different fish. Um, they feed differently. It's just a lot different water than down at Wrightsville Beach fishing the Cape for River. It's that tannic brown water, um, and it's 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 a challenge. They're not the easiest fish to catch, and uh, and I really like the challenge. And when it comes together catching them, really, really puts it together. Well, I'll tell you from my angle, part of the reason we reached out to you was everything you just said, and then just how much you care about the fishery. I mean, your efforts to take care of it, to sustain it, to bring it back. I mean, there'd be hard pressed. I'm, I'm now singing your praises. Be hard-pressed to find someone that wasn't more dialed in to the Cape Fear Stripers, politics, fishery, everything. So here we go. We got one more question, then we can get started on the main event, all right? All right. So second question tends to be non-fishing related. Um, Jod Owens, when I'm typing in striper, when I'm sending texts, it wants to autocorrect to strippers. It wants to talk about strippers. So I have a stripper question. <laughs> You're excited, Cape Fear River strippers or Cape Fear stripers? <laughs> Nationwide. Nationwide. <laughs> Nationwide, I want you to guess roughly what percentage of strippers are female, what percentage of strippers are male. 
Um, hmm. It's a guess. Nine, 90, 10, 90 female. Man, that is a fantastic guess. It's not exactly right, but it's 92 and 8. 92% are female, 8% are male. Wow. So, man, you maybe you're better at strippers than stripers. Let's get started and see what we have to do. I like, I like your concept. You wanted to first just sort of introduce us. You do, Mr. You're fishing for the stripers in the winter, but you wanted to go over sort of the seasonal movement of the fish. We're going to end up in the winter fishery, how they – we're going to end up there in our season conversation, and then we'll start talking about how to target them in the winter. Is that correct? You got it. Talk to me about the seasonal movement, please. So uh, seasonally-wise, these stripers, um, number one, um, they are not highly migratory stripers. Um, they rarely leave the Cape Fear River. And when I say rarely, um, there's only been a handful of fish in probably over 50 years of tagging where the fish have actually left the river. Wow. Uh, they migrate up and down the river. And, and a quick run through, uh, I'll, I'll just, what we'll do is I'll say, uh, let's, let's start in the spring after the winter and we'll go back around. Okay. In the spring, these fish uh, in late March and April, depends on water temperature, will start heading up the Cape Fear as well as the Northeast Cape Fear rivers. Um, how many, what percentage, we don't know. That's still, it seems like the mass of the fish head up the Cape Fear River towards the lock and dams, but we do know that some fish do head up the Northeast Cape Fear River on a spawning run. Um, they get to locking in number one in the spring. Um, there is rock weirs that have been put in there. They still need to be tuned for more efficient crossing. Some fish cross, they go up to locking in number, number two, they can't go any further. And then they usually shoot back down river and spread out. Once water temperatures start getting warm up in, in May, these fish can be everywhere. They, you see them down all the way down to Snow's Cut. You will see them all the way up at Castle Hayne. The bass anglers in the spring and, and later spring and summer will catch them on um, just bass fishing. Uh, people fishing downtown Wilmington will catch them, but there's no there's no big numbers of them school-wise. They're just spread out everywhere. Um, and then we get into the fall, they seem to start heading downriver. And it seems like, the I don't want to say the word biomass, but the biomass of these fish typically hangs from just south of downtown a couple miles through the Brunswick River, through the Cape Fear River, up the Cape Fear River a couple miles, and up the northeast Cape Fear River a couple miles. And it, it's interesting that they actually, you know, with the tracking tagging we've done, the tagging studies, that they, they do kind of congregate in that area. Well, that more fish, usually the fishing's a little better in the wintertime. So for me as a guide, when everything else is slowed down, these fish aren't afraid of cold water at all. We'll catch them in the 40s. I've caught them in the, in the water temperatures upper 30s before. It gets harder as it gets colder, but they will bite in cold water. So when, for me as a speckled trout on right still beach, start to slow down, it starts getting a little too cold for them. The striped bass are already biting the river. So you're a fan of the winter fishery, more fish and more fish when other stuff isn't presenting as well exactly. in your Riceville Beach waters. Exactly, exactly. And if it's a milder winter, it's even better fishing. When I say they like it cold, they still like it cold. But, you know, water temperatures are averaging the Cape Fear River in the wintertime anywhere from on a mild winter in the mid-50s to a cold winter to the low 40s to upper 30s. And for me, if it's anywhere in the mid-40s to mid-50s, it's good fishing. I can catch them pretty good in the low-40s. And I've caught them in the upper-30s, but it, it is tough. It, it, you're not going to catch the numbers. Um, we've had some Striper Fest tournaments that were one year was 39 to 38-degree water. We didn't catch many fish during that tournament this year, but some fish were caught. You know, yeah. So it, it, it definitely makes a difference. But anywhere in that mid-40s to mid-50s, it's usually pretty good fishing. And it, since these are resident fish, I guess the size of the fish doesn't change with the seasons either because you're still targeting the same mass of fish. Yeah, it's, it's what I found is, is when you find numbers are usually smaller fish, bigger numbers. You know, you, you'll find a place with 6, 8, 10, 
12, even sometimes 20 fish, they will be smaller. They do tend to hang together in size, though. So if you get on small fish, see this a lot with speckled trout, you get on these small fish, you can catch those, you know, two to four pound fish. And then you'll find one or two or three five to 15 pound fish and get lucky occasional 20. Uh, and they do get bigger. Unfortunately, lost a lot of big fish from Florence. Um, the fish, the river really got hit hard during Florence. We lost a lot of big fish, but not all the big fish died. Um, some some pre-Florence fish have been caught, taking the, into account the, the size. So, so they did make it. And from the biology standpoint, some of the DMF biologists have told me that the only positive thing from that, real positive, is that a lot of the predators, the big catfish and even big stripers and other stuff, um, are not in the river. A lot of them were killed, especially the big catfish. So all the recruitment and all the spawning, what little bit we have, but even more, the, when, they're, when they're stocking those fish, those fish are going to grow quicker and more are going to live because they don't have those bigger fish to eat them. All right. Um, so that, that's a, it's a, you know, it's, qual, it's, it's a quality thing. And we're already seeing, um, it's already recovering quicker. In, a, in two years now, it's already better than it was. I mean, it's, it's not better than it was before, but, but it's substantially better a year. Okay. And it, we're seeing it, it's getting better quick, quickly. Well, man, right on. I'll tell you, one thing that strikes me, you know, I fish your event, the Striper Fest, the you know, Cape Fear River Striper Fest. And so one thing that amazes me every time I'm down there is just how fishy everything looks. Every shoreline looks fishy. Every pylon looks fishy. There's just so much water. And people in general are looking for help with where to fish. And the Cape Fear River, you know, the Northeast, what you've talked about is so expansive how can you help us with where to fish, what to look for? Well, the, I, I will, and I will tell you just going through water temperature while starting, when I start to look for places, is for me it's typically I'm going to start striper fishing usually sometime in, in, in early to late December because usually now this year, no bar hold this year because it's just so mild. But typically I'm getting in the river sometime in December when the water temperatures have gotten usually into the low 50s to upper 40s in the Cape Fear River. Okay. I've left Wrightsville from trout fishing. It's gotten too cold. Trout are still there. It's just harder to catch them. Move on to something a little easier to catch. And when I get down there, the most important thing I look for is any kind of break in current. Now add that to the fact that the Cape Fear River downtown Wilmington expansively is 45 plus feet deep because it's man-made dredging. So there are places in the river that my boat will be sitting on the edge of the river and I can literally touch dry land with a seven foot rod and the boat's sitting in 30 foot plus water. That's how, how quick it, how, how quick the drop off is some for the shipping channels. So what you look for is you try to find places that where there's shallower water, any kind of shallower water, you're going to find stripers. Are they in that deep water? They are. They're just extremely hard to target. Very hard to target because it's high current and it's deep. So I'm trying to find anywhere that I can find 6, 10, 15 feet of water is pretty manageable. Got to keep in mind there's a lot of current in that river. Not only do you have your big tide, but you also got all that flow. So the tide rises about like it does around Wrightsville Beach, but it falls even harder because you have that falling tide plus the current dropping. Okay. Add some rain to that, even worse. Um, so I'm going to find anywhere that's a little bit shallower to break up that current, slow it down some. Ledges, creek mouths, um, docks and pilings. Most of the docks and pilings are going to be in deeper water, but if you find some of those older docks that meet up to those banks that where the water's a little shallower, and I say older docks because now all the docks in the river are in deep water for big ships and stuff. But there's some of those older docks around there, and if you spend some time in the river, you know which ones I'm talking about. You see them, those older pilings, those are the ones that are in shallower water because they didn't need as much water back then for those, those ships and boats. That's where you're going to find the fish on those breaks. Anywhere, anything that breaks up water with a little bit of shallowness to it, it's that's 
that's just key. It really is. So are you finding flats in the Cape Fear River? Like, there, is there flats of shallow water? There, is it more just like a less severe bank? Less severe banks, but like creek mouse, creek mouse are going to have washout areas. You're going to have that channel. You're going to have the edges where all that sediment comes in and out. And there's going to be, you know, just like a creek, you know, around around Wrightsville or Carolina Beach where you can, on clear water days, you can see those sandbars where it washes out of the sides, where each side of that creek mouth, there's going to be shallower water because sediment's going to pile up pilings, bulkheads, there's going to be a break. Sediment's going to hit them and pile up somewhere on those edges. And wherever it piles up and it's a little shallower, it's a water break and it's also shallower water. That's where you're going to find the fish. You talk about everything looks fishy in the Cape Fear River, and it does. I've caught fish in places one time. I've never caught them there again. And then there's places I go back over and over again and catch them. I mean, there, there's so many nooks and crannies in that river because it's, it's, it's got a lot of history. It's got a lot of depth. Um, and it's got a lot of current flow so it's 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 an interesting place to say the least so the you do you like fishing the rising tide better because the water flow is less severe does that make it an easier fishery um well honestly i will fish it in any for any any tide any tide at all of course just like a lot of fish when that tide goes slack these fish do have a tendency to slow down their bite when it goes slack okay but what i try to do is i will fish the shallower areas that i fish in the shallow water areas on the higher tides and I'll fish from those deeper water breaks on the lower tide. Because with about a three, that, that river's about three and a half to four and a half foot tide, normal tide, it's not moon or wind. And so if you've got a place that's 15 foot deep, you knock four feet off that, you get into that 10, 11, 11 range. That's gone from hard to fish at high tide to, to, to actually you can present a bait to a fish. So I'll fish shallower waters, those, the, the shallowest places I can find at higher waters, because you'll have you know a little bit more water up there, but still manageable depth. But then I'll fish the deeper points and the deeper breaks on those uh, lower tides. What's too shallow that you don't give it much a look? Honestly, there's not. I okay. mean, yeah, season wise, and you know, we'll talk about season wise lure, lures. You know that makes a difference depth wise. I mean, you know, for topwater fishing in early uh, fall to early winter, depends on water temperature, I'll throw topwater. I'm going to throw it up to six inches of water. The fish is not going to bite it at six inches of water, but I'm going to get that presentation going. So when it gets into that three to five foot range where they are sitting, they're going to hit it. All right. Man, uh, what a, I, I don't know what, how else I should set you up for a conversation about where what to look for, where to locate. I mean, that seemed pretty dialed in. We're getting ready, in my mind, to move into how to fish for them, unless you have some final thoughts on scoping out potential p- spots to start your search. Um, water, bro- I mean, any anything that looks good will probably hold a fish in that river. You were talking about how, how everything looks good, and there there is plenty of times. I, I won't go searching with a customer, but when I'm out, I do a lot more fun fishing for stripers because I'm not as busy in the wintertime. So I get to fun fish for stripers probably more than any other species of the year. I mean, it just breaks down that way. Um, and I will go try places that I've never fished before, something that looks good, just run down the river and shot. That's a good way to do it. But this is a day of a thousand cast fishing. I mean, it really is. It's not, you know, you can't, you have a 10 fish day in the river. That's a pretty good day. I've had 40 fish days in the river, but they're very far and few. Yeah. So covering area, covering more area is going to help. It, if you like a challenge, this is a challenge fishery, go out there, cover area. Anything looks good, cast at it. You know, I'm going to tell you what lures use certain times of year in water temperature. Take that information, and then go to those places and cover area. But it is a it is very very important to cover a lot of area and cast a lot. Striped bass have very poor eyesight for for far as fish species go. Take that into a, a tannic brown water quality. You got to put it in front of their face. You really do. Okay, 
Um, well, you have a lot of goodies out here, and I have a feeling that this How to Fish Forum is going to be the meat of this presentation. Where do we start, man? I, you well, you have an idea, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm going to start with, with something I don't do a lot of, uh, and that's topwater fishing. And the reason is, is uh, two reasons. Number one is, is I found these fish don't like to get on the surface once that water cools down. And I would say into the low 50s. Mid to low 50s. Once it gets there, it's very hard to catch one of these fish on top water. Okay. But if we have a mild winter, um, and I get down there a little earlier, every once in a while I have a trip that someone wants to striper fish during trout season, I'll take them down there, and that water temperature is in the mid 50s to low 60s, like it is right now. They will hit top water early mornings, though. Low light conditions. Um, for me, it's for striper fishing, it's less than the first hour of sunrise. I want to be there before the sun comes up. And with other other species, I have the old, when I feel like I need to reach for my sunglasses, the topwater bite, if it's a bluebird day, the topwater bite's probably slowing down. This fish rate's before that. <laughs> I haven't even thought about the sunglasses yet. And what will happen is if you get on a good topwater bite, you'll, you'll, you'll get some commitment bites, but then you'll start getting these fish that follow it. They're real bad about following baits, but they won't commit to it, and that's when the topwater just stops. So I don't do a lot of topwater fishing, but it is a lot of fun. And so because these fish really put on a show, they will keep trying to get a bait. Um, so bigger baits, this is a, a mirror lure top dog. Okay. This is the, the biggest top water they make. Uh, I don't use this uh, for many saltwater species except for bigger bluefish and bigger reds. Um, but big and loud, big and loud. Um, and color wise, don't, don't worry about the color too much. I like to use a redhead white body, something with that, that transition, just because they don't have that good eyesight, something to just totally break up the monotony of it. So anything that adds to the movement, um, that's just my, my go-to. There's an orange head one as well uh, that Miraware makes. That's a good one. But just that, that real hard transition of, of color, I, I like that. And it's just I want you to walk the dog. I want you to walk that lure side to side more than forward. I mean, literally, you want to hear, you know, when you throw it out there, you want to – I'm going to steal that from Billy. Uh, you, you want to hear. That's it. And that lure is going just like that through the water. And that is very, very important. Loud and proud. When they blow up on it, keep working it. Don't stop. Don't Because you got to think about this fish has poor eyesight. If it stops, it might lose it. If they lose it, they're going to lose interest and swim away. So just keep keep working it. And sometimes they'll come right to the boat. They're really bad about following lures. And then you can you can try the old figure eight, uh, you know, musky trick. I have, it is, I've not had success um, with that. But, you know, loud and proud. Um, and then as it starts to cool down, you know, like I said, usually I get there, the water's in the, in the mid to low fifties okay. um, and my go-to bait day in and day out, um, working those drop-offs, working those Creek mouse, those grass lines, uh, it's going to be, you know, the, the good old swim bait. Um, and for me, the, uh, swim bait scenario is going to be a, a Berkeley grass pig. This is a five inch grass pig and something that, a lot of people miss, I think, with, with swim baits is the size of hook. Now, the, the hook here looks, I'll, I'll put a hook right there as well. This is a 7 alt, and it's a very large 7 alt. Um, this is a Trocar hook. It's a TK70 is, is, is the, um, the, the series um, or the model number. And, and what I like about this bait, um, this hook, is because it's got this large playing field right here, is when that fish hits that bait can go down and have plenty of room to set the hook on that fish. Um, you know, one of the names of stripers is rockfish um, because I hang around rocks. I call them rockfish because their mouth is as hard as a rock. 
and this is a really hard, really sharp hook, and I like to have a lot of play and field. This is the play and field, so when that fish hits, that lure can can slide down. A lot of swim bait hooks have very shallow uh, bellies or play and fields, yeah. and they go to hit it, and it doesn't push down. And I say this because these fish will hit these baits. You will turn and hit them hard as you can and run 20 yards with heavy drag and spit the lure out. I've had it happen many times, and I think the reason is they grab it with their mouth so hard they hold on very tight to the lure. And they run with it, and they figure out something's wrong, and you never have time to get it turned in their mouth. So I hit them like I'm bass fishing or drum fishing. I cross their eyes, hit them as hard as you can. Hard. Hard, exactly. Working this bait, very simple. This is what I love about this bait. Anybody can do this. You throw this bait out to whatever target, creek mouth, drop off, whatever. Let it hit the water. I wait a few seconds, let it sink down. Rod tip low, and just slow roll. Just slow roll. It's going to rub the bottom. But it's a swim bait hook, so the, the weight's going to hit the bottom, and it's going to be weedless because the hook's going to be up. Now, if you stop swimming that thing, it's going to turn on its side just like it's laying on this table, and then it's going to get hung up on something. So you want to throw it out there, keep the rod tip low, it's going to rub the bottom. I don't care if it rubs the bottom. That's fine. They like that. A little bit of noise on the bottom, you're gonna, you, and you will, you will feel the bite. They thump it hard. But if you stop reeling and let it sit there, that river is full of timber. And it is. I, I lose more lures in – Three to four months of striper fishing in the river than I do all summer long saltwater fishing, including cutoffs from Spanish mackerel and bluefish. If you get hung up there, it's it's timber, it's wood. You don't get it back most of the time. Okay, so and I get at this because what happens is customers on the boat, two fish, two customers fishing, one of them hooks up, the other customer sticks a rod rod holder with the line out, get the camera, take photos, see the fish, you go back to check it after it's been sitting there. It's been sitting on the bottom, pulling around that current. It's hung up 90% of the time. And I'm talking about hung up, you don't get it back. So you just want to keep it rolling, swimming. You feel that thump. You feel that tick. And a lot of people get excited because they feel it rubbing the bottom. You get one bite. one The first time you get a bite, the rest of the day, you know when you miss one. Because it's very, it's a very, it's a very hard bite. Smaller fish will sometimes scoop it with their nose, muff it with their nose. And it'll be like a little tick, like a trout speckled trout bite. Then they'll eat it. And it happens so fast, you'll get that tick. And before you can look at someone on the boat and say, I had a bite, they've hit it. So if I feel a tick at all, set the hook because the fish is going to eat it. Why do you keep the rod tip down? What's the point of? I want to stay close to the bottom as I possibly can. Okay. Okay. This is, I use quarter ounce and three eighths. I have experimented with some half ounce swim bait hooks and they work. The problem is a half ounce is it dredges so hard sometimes that it, the, the, the hang level even started getting a little high on, on even with a weedless setup. You know, that hook is still exposed, and I do not want to cover that hook up because if I've tried before, and you cover it up, and then you miss some fish. You have that, that one good thump, and you go to hit it, and I think it bounces right out of their mouth because the hook's not exposed. What about leader? Leader. I use a 30 or 40-pound fluorocarbon. The fluorocarbon here is not for invisibility. These fish are, they don't, don't have good eyesight. But even though we're at the Cape Fear River, that water's pretty salty, and you do get a lot of little, little barnacles, which are really sharp, and even some small oysters. Every time I pull a stick up, if we get hung and I get it in, it's covered in little barnacles. Because you're rubbing the bottom constantly, fluorocarbonature is a little bit stiffer and a little more abrasion-resistant. I use a short piece, uh, a two-foot, not, not very long, just as a lee in front of it, and I always tie a loop knot. The loop knot's not a deal breaker, but the loop knot keeps that bait swimming a little better action, so it turns over and flows a little instead of tying tight because the fluorocarbon is stiff in nature. And soft plastic coloring. Soft plastic coloring. So my go-to is going to be the swamp swamp gas color. Um, it looks like New Penny if you salt water because this is a freshwater bait. New Penny is a saltwater color. So swamp gas is a go-to in in pretty much general conditions. That's my go-to. 
chalky water, stained water, crystal clear. Um, if it another one for general conditions is called Greenback Shiner. Um, that's Greenback Shiner. It's got a little bit of silver uh, and then a little green. Looks like Greenback Heron. Um, that's another go-to. And then if the water clears up, and this is where a lot of anglers make mistakes, I think, in many fisheries, is you think you need to use a, a you know a, a bright color in dirty water and a dark color in clean waters. It, it it's not. It's it's actually the opposite. When this water clears up, and now when I say clears up, it's still brown. Okay, it's still sweet tea, but it's clear sweet tea. And how I tell is I look at my trolling motor head. Trolling motor head's white. If I can look down in that water and I can see that trolling motor head clear, see see the, see the dimples on it, the nicks, the scratches on it, that's clear Cape River water. Okay. That's good conditions. And when it's like that, it doesn't get that very often, especially in the wintertime because we get a lot of rain in the wintertime. But when it gets like that and it does, I like to go to lighter colors. And uh, this is a called Crazy Chrome Violet. It's got a little bit of purple in it and then good old uh, chartreuse chrome or chrome chartreuse. And bright colors, I don't use these a lot. Excellent flounder baits, <laughs> if not for the river, for around, for around right. So my go-to color is going to be that swamp gas and that uh, and that greenback shiner. But when the water gets really pretty, these brighter colors will will work for sure. Okay, will work for sure. Man, I'm in. Like I'm trying to keep. I'm trying to keep up. You're full of information. I'm already excited. What you're going to talk about next? <laughs> um, and then another bait that I like to throw too. And 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 we talked earlier about um, just how many hangs there are. Is I will use some crankbaits, but crankbait fishing is going to be that scenario where you know where you're fishing. Uh, because if you crank that sucker across that bottom and plow the bottom, it continually hits the bottom. You're going to lose the lure. It's going to happen. And anybody knows these crankbaits run anywhere from about 7 maybe in the cheap bin, to $12, $13. You know, good ones. Um, these these are Apollo DTs, uh, dives too. And this is a DT6. This is a DT, is this 8 or 10? 10. 10. So this will dive to a maximum of 10. This will dive to a maximum of, that's a 6. All right. So with that being said, crankbaits will float. All right, if you stop reeling, they'll float to the surface. You start reeling again, they'll go down to depth. So what I will do with these baits is if I'm throwing a, a DT-10 and it's just constantly plowing the bottom, then I might need to move to another to a, to a DT-6 or something a little shallower. Or you can run it for a while. If it starts bumping the bottom, stop, pause, let it float up a little bit, and then start again. Most of these places that I'm using a lure like this, I know the bottom. It's going to be those bigger, uh, um, broader flats. Now, when I say flat, I'm not talking about two foot of water like saltwater flat. I'm talking about any kind of flat that's six to eight foot of water in the river where maybe it's a bigger creek mouth or something that, that has has a, a shallower area. It's a safer area. There's not as much timber there, but those fish will be on those edges. Then I will throw this lure, but probably only 10% of the time. I always have one tied on. There's a few spots I always try it. Uh, rattle traps are great. A lot of people throw rattle traps. I've caught some fish on rattle traps. Problem is, every time I throw a rattle trap in that river, I lose it. But I know people that are diehards for rattle traps in that river, and they love them. They have places they throw them and use them and catch fish on them. I've caught fish on them, but I've hung up more rattle traps than I've caught fish on them, so I don't use rattle traps. Rattle traps don't float. Throw a rattle trap out there, you stop reeling, it goes to the bottom, and it goes to the bottom quick. Where at least this lure starts to hit the bottom, you triple crankbaits, you can let go, it'll start floating over the surface. So if you know the area you are, is your goal to be in water that that bait is close as it can be to the bottom without bumping it too much? Exactly. So the scenario is, 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 you know, the, the longer you reel a crankbait about halfway through your, 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 you know, your, your retrieve, it's going to be at its depth depth, and it's going to start coming back up. So I would only want it to rub 
halfway through the through the uh, through the, the presentation, the retrieve, and then it's going to start coming back up towards the boat. If it stays plowing on the bottom, don't wrong, they're going to hit it. That's making vibration, but you're pushing the limit. You're going to get hung up if you keep plowing the bottom. So in general, these fish are on the bottom. Generally, they're in the bottom. Usually, when I mark them or catch them, I'm typically getting they're right on the bottom to a couple feet off the bottom. And they're always on a break, a, a, a ledge, um, a, a push, you know, like there's creek drop-offs. Anything to break up water behind a pylon, I found, find them behind pylons all the time. I mean, they'll, you know, just a couple pylons together, something to break up that current just a little bit. And that, that swim bait especially, because I will not throw one of these crankbaits around pylons. It's gone. But the swim baits throw it on the edge of that pylon. I can't tell you there's places where I will throw out really and it'll get right to that spot. And I'm expecting a bite and thump. There they are right there. And is the goal like as slow as you can retrieve it and still have the right action? I mean, are the, we trying to be as... Yeah, the, the far as the swim bait goes, the soft plastic, it's, it's, I won't say it's as slow as I can reel, but it's, it's pretty slow rolling. Okay. Um, you know, it, it's because you can get away with rubbing the bottom. The crankbait, if you can, you can roll, you can roll it slow. The problem is you roll it slow is sometimes you're not going to get the depth that you want. It's not going to pull that current. So you, you can speed that up a little bit more. Um, they're both reaction baits, um, but I think getting that crankbait is going to have to get it right in front of them, where the swim baits, because it's coming on bottom a little bit slower, they'll have a tendency to, to follow that um, a little bit. There's been times I've had customers, especially if it's mild or mid-50s water or above, um, where I've literally had customers pulling their lure out of the water to cast again, and it's a foot from the surface, and all of a sudden, it looks like someone throws a brick in the water behind the boat, and a striper eats it because it's coming out of the water. That fish followed it all the way to the boat. Um, so I tell my customers to always work the lure. It's not like uh, you know throwing a plug at a trout where you work a spot and then bring it back in. I tell them to 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 roll that lure all the way to the boat because even though we might the boat might be sitting in twenty foot of water and we're casting to six and eight foot, I've had fish hit it in that twenty foot of water because they followed it. They followed it to the boat. And so are you, I mean, I was wondering about this question beforehand. Like if I'm targeting a, a grass line or a shoreline, am I working all the way down the grass or am I throwing to the grass and bringing it straight out? Like perpendicular versus parallel, I guess, is my question. Well, I think both will work. I, at least, I like to cast it straight to the grass because those fish will be on those drop-offs. And when I say drop-offs, it could be the two-foot drop-off, the three-foot, the four-foot, the whatever. I mean, there's different drop-offs. Every spot's different because of the way that current runs. Some Most places have multiple drop-offs until it just falls into the deep water where it's been dredged. Finding these places that are shallower will have multiple drop-offs, natural drop-offs, where they just have eroded. Mm -hmm. And so I'm gonna, I like to throw to the bank and marine in because you're going off those. But that brings me to another point. These fish having bad eyesight Angles are extremely important, and if I'm fishing, let's say a creek mouth or a set of pilings, or I know there's a break or a drop there, when we get to that spot, you know we're going to be casting towards it as we're coming up on it in the boat. Usually, I'll use have my trolling motor down, okay. and a lot of people like to cast at it and then keep on moving to the next next spot or the next cast. I always make sure my customers once we get past that spot, they cast back to it at say a 45 degree different angle, and you won't believe how many times we'll get bites. Sometimes it'll be when we're casting towards them. Sometimes the casting, we're casting back, back towards that spot as the boat's going away from it. But changing that angle at 45 plus degrees, it's amazing that lure landing in the same spot and you get a bite. And I think it's how the fish are positioned in the current, how they're feeding, they're waiting for food. Because they have poor eyesight, you know, other fish will turn around and see it or hear it and they'll turn and run on it. But I think that lure has to be right in front of that fish's mouth, very close to their face to hit it. And that's why angles are very important for these fish because they're poor eyesight. Any thoughts on whether they like the bait coming 
at them a little bit more, away from them a little more, straight across their nose a little bit more? From, from what I'm gathering, the way that we, we, we catch them, I think they like it in, uh, coming across in front of them, not from behind them. Okay. And I, just, just from the angles that we catch these fish and the current's running – or how the, the how the drop off set up or the grass line set up, it, it seems like like a lot of fish. Not to say that they wouldn't um, spook and turn it, but being that they don't have clear water, if you spook them, they turn around, the lure's gone. Where redfish might spook a redfish, fish turns around, there goes the lure. It's five feet away, they can still see it. Typically, clear water scenarios. Okay. But with the dirty water in that river, I think having that lure, you, you it's it's a reaction bite, and that's why a lot of times they'll run up on it, nose it. You'll get a little nose tap that nose, and then they'll really eat it. It just leads me to believe, taking all this into consideration, that it's got to be close to them, and they like it in front of them, not coming up behind them. So that's pretty standard, the nose tap and then the... Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It really is. Some of them will just eat it straight up. I mean, I've had them where they just just load up on it, but it's amazing how you get a, you get a little tink, almost like a trout a trout bite, a little BB bite, and then it's, boom, they eat it hard. And it's literally so fast that you can't say I had a bite because you go to, it comes out of your mouth, and you're like, boom, and you got them. Man, uh, you keep talking about poor eyesight. Does that mean you're adding scent? Are you adding scent to just about everything, or I don't add scent. It's it to me. It's covering area reaction. Would it Would it help? I don't think it would hurt. I've played with some scents. I've thrown a lot of gulp at them, um, but for me, this bait has a lot of vibration. Okay. Um, not only does the tail swim, but when the soft plastic, the grass pick swim, and the the, the lure shakes side to side as well. Um, I think I've tried noises. I've tried like brass weights. I've tried glass beads, like other bass guys use, like tickers and stuff. It hasn't helped enough that I've stayed with it. And then when you lose it, you lose it even more tackle. <laughs> uh, day in and day out, the swim bait with the larger platform hook seems to be what I've dialed in since I've been fishing this fish. I've been fishing this fishery as long as I've been a guide uh, and, and seriously fishing this fishery probably the last 15, 16 years, like go, like going every year, you know, every winter. Um, I don't know if we have anything else out here. I mean, have we covered your, I think we've covered your staples. Yeah. Yeah. And it, here's another bait I will use sometimes too. This is another soft plastic. This is something, um, and, and I would say more than likely, this would be a bait that if I just was having a slow day, I throw it in there. This is a newer bait. It's called a champ swimmer by Berkeley. It's a bass bait. Um, what I like about this bait is this bait is a lot softer. Um, so if it's colder, I will try this bait sometimes. That way when they hit it, they're hit, hitting a little light. Because when it gets colder, those hard ticks and thumps go away and you start getting that kind of, it's still a bump, but it's kind of just a heavy, like just they kind of grab on. And I will use a little bit softer bait. This bait will have a little more action. Now this bait will tear easier too because it's softer. It's made for bass fishing. Those rockfish have that very hard mouth. But I will use the Champ Swimmer. It comes in a lot of different colors. This is just just a, a they call it, I think pearl bright shad or pearl pearl fuzz, just bright, bright enough if that water is clear and pretty. Day in and day out, the darker colors do work better in the Cape River though. All right, I don't know how much time we have left. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do, man. I'm going to ask you to give me the quick, the quick synopsis of what you would do when you pulled up to a creek mouth. What you would do if you're just working a standard grass line. And what you would do with some pilings, you know, right. for the for the basic guy who said, man, I like what this guy's saying. I'm going to try this Cape Fear Striper fishery out this winter. Help me out just a little bit more for when I pull up. Like, what's some of the first things you do? All right. So start out with the creek mouth. So when I start out with the creek mouth, I'm going to get to that creek mouth and I'm going to get within casting distance. And this this these fish aren't spooky. Now, I'm not going to throw an anchor on. I'm not going to run my run my main motor over. I'm going to use a trolling motor. 
Um, I don't do a lot of anchoring on the river because you, you lose your anchor just like you do your tackle. I mean, it, the, 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 we're talking about, you know, cypress trees that you, you don't get your stuff back. So I would recommend if you're in shallow water, a power pole or use a spotlight trolling motor or trolling motor. Um, and I'm going to get to that creek mouth and I'm probably going to get, I'd say, um, 50 to 60 feet easy casting. Okay. And I'm going to start casting at that creek mouth and all angles, not just right at the creek mouth. Five foot either side, ten foot either side. We'll find those fish near the creek mouth, not always right on it. I told you, day of a thousand casts, you're gonna, you know, each creek mouth is gonna get 15, 20 casts easy. Now, if I have two or three people in the boat, we can do that pretty quickly. If you're by yourself, it's gonna take a little longer. And I'm gonna hit those angles. I'm gonna keep casting as the boat floats by, or as I use a trolling motor and cruise by, and I'm gonna keep throwing it at those angles of that creek mouth and around it until I get a bite. Now, once I've cast 15 to 20 times at a bunch of different angles, I don't get a bite, it's time to move on. Okay. If you get a bite, you keep throwing there and keep changing those angles. There's not just one striper there. There's never just one striper. All right. Not. So keep doing that. Grass lines, uh, I'm going to work that grass line or, the, or, or, or any kind of bank looks good, a bulkhead bank where there's a little shallow water. We're going to do that just casting and cruising down. I keep casting and covering area, throwing that lure up there right up to the grass line. Dropping that rod tip and just slow rolling it to the boat, just like the creek mouse, but just keep covering it down. And when to me, when a grass line is no longer a good grass line, you can get to a point where it's finally going to drop off. That current's going to get really heavy and deep. You're not targeting stripers anymore. You, you might get one when you first cast in the water because you're going to be in that strike zone for five or six seconds. But the longer you stay in the strike zone, the more chance you have of getting a bite. So when you get to that real heavy current and you know that and you're looking at fish finder and it's 30, 40 foot deep, you're, you're done. It's time to get another grass line. You've covered that area. You want to okay. try to target those shallower areas. Typically, my boat's sitting in 10 to 20 foot of water when I'm casting for these fish. Okay. And casting shallower, that's where the boat's sitting. Pylons, this is an, an interesting one because it, it the pylons are so different. We talked about some of the older ones are in shallow water, some of the newer ones in, in, are in deeper water. I really try to target old stuff because the water is shallower. There's going to be some transition behind or beside the pylon. So that's number one. And number two, it's going to be the beginning and the end of, end of the docks or the piling set. Now, are there fish inside there? There are, but you're going to lose tackle. It's very hard to fish those, you know, up in there with that current. You're going to cast up in there. You're just going to get washed into the end of the pylons. So I'm going to I'm going to try to target at the beginning of those pylons where I can wash that lure, where I feel like I can wash it right past that pylon without getting hung up. And then the very end, the other side, the down current side, I'm going to fish that as well. Because to that, to me, that's kind of like a point or a break. And a lot of the fish will be there, and you can actually properly target those fish. All right. Man, uh, any last piece of advice for the guy, the person who's excited about this and wants to try it out? Um, water temperature is important. Uh, uh, anything, you know, mid-40s and above, you have a good chance. You can catch them less than that. And water quality is important. If the upper Cape River is in flood stage, you know, the locking dam number one is locking flood stage. Northeast Cape River, Burgall is under flood stage. That water is going to be uh, coffee with cream. It gets really hard to catch them. Um, and, and, and I tell people this is, 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 and this is all fishing for me, winter fishing especially, is, is I can catch fish in, in cold, real cold water, colder than normal, if the water condition's good. If the water is not that cold, mild, I, I can catch fish in dirty water. But cold, dirty water in any fishery is hard to catch fish. Okay. So keep that in mind. I mean, I, when I get to the boat ramp downtown and I get in there, I'm looking in the water. I can tell you right away what kind of day it's going to be. If that water temperature is right and the water's not too dirty, we're going to catch fish. But if it's looking tough, and it could be the difference between Northeast Cape Fear and the Cape Fear. The Cape Fear could be dirty. Northeast could be pretty. 
it can be completely different. You know, the, the, the Northeast goes up to Burgall and kind of stays coastal, per se, where the Cape Fear goes all the way to, to you know, to Lillington and Elizabethtown. There's a lot of water there. So it can get dirty. Either one can get dirty. It depends on what's going on with the, with the water. Well, Jod Owens, I know you're hustling year-round, and so why don't you please tell our listeners, our viewers, what you're doing when you're not targeting Cape Fear Stripers? What's Captain Chot, Captain Jot yeah. Owens doing when he's not doing winter stripers? Um, starting out in uh, in March and April, I'll start looking for the big chopper bluefish. Move, move into later April, start looking for those Atlantic Benito. Um, knock on wood, it was like it was this spring. I didn't have many customers to take, but it was really good for Atlantic Bonito fish, and I, I, I ate them quite a bit for dinner. Uh, and then we start transitioning over to big Spanish, uh, king mackerel. Then the redfish bite picks up as we get into uh, May, especially mid-May. And then later May, I'm, I loved cobia fish. Uh, so cobia through uh, June, late June, tarpon start showing up, redfish continues. Flounder bite picks up, might be catch and release. We'll find out <laughs> this year from DMF what the season's going to be. And then uh, if we, you know, we stay in that normal flounder season like we had this year, I'll say normal first time, but that late August and September, I'm doing a lot of flounder trips if that's the season. I, I do, I really like flounder fishing, and uh, uh, we have a good flounder fisher here, and I do enjoy that. People love to catch and eat flounder. Um, and then we start cycling into that, that you know, get into that fall, and I start looking for the speckled trout like I am right now. Um, and it's uh, – it's been a very roller coaster year, temperature-wise, speckled trout fishing. But um, that cool air we had had the last couple of days is really starting to get them to bite again, and I'm so excited for it. Well, man, I can feel it, man. I can feel your excitement for fishing in general, and man, I appreciate so much you sharing such quality information, man. I mean, this has been a treat for you to you know share what you got, man. Not be protective of it. Well, I appreciate you having me. All right, I'm curious, Billy. I told you, I tried to warn you. I said, <laughs> man. Uh... One thing's for sure. Billy's best takeaway. Yes. No. <laughs> I told no, my, you, Jod is going to make it challenging because right? you got to keep up. Best takeaway, I think it's not, the first time he said it, it caught me. But then the you know second time he said it, third time he said it was angles on these fish. Like just change the angle. Don't give up on a spot. Just fish it a different way. So that's not my re- rhythm at all. I'm like, okay, I'm out of here. But that's a good, that's a good. Yeah, it's he, a he said it multiple fishery. times, so I'm like, this must be very important because he said it multiple times. I mean, I have used that phrase, days of, the day of a thousand casts. Yeah. Like, it's true. It's rewarding, but it's challenging. I mean, challenging is yeah. what part makes it rewarding. Like, uh, yeah, man, it was good. It was good. I knew it was going to be. I mean, this might be my best interview. I had to work so hard Dude, you were, to I, get him to yeah. open up, man. I, I mean, know. He was, was sort of like a turtle there for first but I used my interview skills. I got him comfortable. I don't even know if you finish a complete sentence or statement, actually. <laughs> if I'm going to call you out and keep you honest. Man, this is the easiest job in the world like, when we have John Owens as a guest. You put your boat in the water? Yes, I do. I put my boat in the water. Thank you very much, John. <laughs> Made it easy for I you. wasn't even here. I actually went outside. Smoked. Dude, it was on a smoke break. And <laughs> <laughs> just come inside. All right, what about colors? We, we've, got, we, we've got Gary on the phone. <laughs> Gary from the parking lot. <laughs> hey, Gary, be quiet. I'm trying to tell him something, okay? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, man, I love it. Wrap us I up, Billy. It. Wrap us up. Oh, if I hit the right button here, I'll wrap us up. Here we go. Uh, just to remind you really quickly just uh, how to watch, how to listen. If you're doing one or the other, you know. But if not, check us out on all these podcasts 
podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, uh, most recently Amazon Music. And be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit the little bell. Um, that way you get a notification every time. There we go. I can I can work this thing, man. I promise. This is my skill sets working this tech stuff. Um, but anyway, so people get a notification every time we put out a new episode uh, when they subscribe to those platforms, and it helps out the algorithm. Say, hey, Fisherman's Post is valuable. They're bringing great information. They got great guests. Uh, and if all that's true, so go subscribe. To our channel, right on. Right. All right, Billy. All right, man. That's it, Gary. Appreciate your brother. We'll see you next time. Next time. <laughs>